Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. On the program today, Fortin out. A stunning resignation, a cloud of an investigation. Now that Canada's vaccine general is gone, where does that leave the country's vaccine rollout? Who's accountable for the disaster inside Canada's military leadership? MPs are here to debate that and then Astra anxiety. We are waiting for the studies, including one from certainly from the United Kingdom, to determine uh, whether we can provide an MRA vaccine as that second dose. Is it the right decision to shelve AstraZeneca over safety concerns in the middle of a third wave? And is mixing and matching vaccines really the solution as public health officials keep signaling? We'll speak with the man in the United Kingdom who oversaw the development of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine itself, Sir John Bell. Then, one dose summer. The one dose summer? sets us up for a two-dose fall, when we'll be able to talk about going back to school, back to work, and back to more normality. After a year-long wait in a pandemic, why are the new Health Canada reopening guidelines still so restrictive? What's the difference between a one-dose summer and a no-dose summer? We'll speak with the Chief Medical Advisor for Health Canada, Dr. Sapriya Sharma, about that and the confusion over AstraZeneca. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Canada's vaccine general is out. In a stunning announcement late Friday night, Major General Fultan, the most visible member of Canada's military and the man in charge of its most important mission, rolling out Canada's life-saving vaccines, stepped down. He's now the subject of an internal investigation. Once again, a dark cloud hangs over the most senior members of Canada's military. The Canadian forces are giving no details as to why Major General Danny Fultan is under investigation or the nature of the allegations or when they were made. But Fultan now joins a long list of high-ranking officers under review, including the last two chiefs of the defense staff, Art McDonald and Jonathan Vance, who are both accused of sexual misconduct. CTV News reached out to Major General Fortin. He declined to comment, referring the request to the Department of National Defense. So, with Canada getting a record of uh, 4.4 million vaccines this week, how will General Fortin's departure impact the vaccine rollout? And after more than five years as the Minister of Defense, is Harjit Sajjan responsible for the meltdown taking place inside the leadership of the forces? We did ask the Defense Minister to join us this morning. He declined our invitation. But we do have MPs here to break down the impact of all this. Joining me now, Liberal MP and the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Procurement, Steve McKinnon, Conservative ethics critic, Michael Barrett, and the NDP MP and the critic for women and gender equality, MP Lindsay Matheson. Uh, great to have all of you here. Um, I want to start with you, Steve McKinnon. This happened late Friday. Uh, Canadians really do deserve to know what happened to the face of the federal government's uh, vaccine rollout. What details can you give us about why he's gone and the nature of the investigation? Well, look, I first want to say thank you for having me on, uh, Evan. And uh, I want to say that uh, the, the team that is responsible for uh, delivering vaccines uh, across this country remains intact. They've had an incredible track record. Over 50% of adults have been vaccinated. And as you said, a record number of vaccines will be entering the country this coming week. So uh, I think Canadians should, be, should feel very reassured. As for uh, Major General Fortin, uh, we know uh, that he has uh, stepped down. Uh, we don't know an awful lot of other details. I think in fairness to the complainants, in fairness to him, uh, we'll wait for the details. But what Canadians can be sure of is there will be a robust investigation. 
uh, and uh, military and other justice will be done as we are doing throughout the Canadian Armed Forces and ensuring that there's a safe work climate for everyone in their forces. Okay, Michael Barrett, weigh in. I mean, this is a long line of these investigations. Are you concerned either about A, the vaccine rollout, and B, what does it say about the departure uh, and the investigation into yet another military leader? Uh, look, the Prime Minister's failure to take action on sexual misconduct in the military is uh, having a devastating effect, both on uh, on members who are serving in the Canadian forces, but also on the uh, on the survivors who are being re-victimized. But um, you know, now we we have a situation where after you know uh, covering up sexual misconduct uh, in in 2018 with the former chief of the defense staff, um, they and having failed to implement the recommendations from the Deschamps report to address sexual misconduct in the military, we now have the individual responsible for logistics of Canada's vaccine rollout being removed on the eve of the largest shipment of vaccines during the greatest public health crisis we've ever faced as a country. So if the government really found out on Friday night, uh, as, as they claim to, of course it's going to have an impact on the distribution. So who have the government replaced General Fortin with? And when will the replacement be up to speed? Does this mean Canadians will have to wait longer for their vaccines? Okay, uh, there's lots in there, and I'm gonna, I know Mr. McKinnon wants to respond to that, but I want Lindsay Matheson also to get uh, your take on this. We don't know the nature of the investigation. There's a lot of questions. What strikes you about, A, the departure and what this says about the pattern going on with senior military leaders? Um, yeah, thanks, Evan. This is this has been uh, a really uh, dramatic and incredible time. Um, I've sat on the Status of Women Committee and and have heard some devastating stories. And the fact that that leadership hasn't been taken, that the Prime Minister and the Minister have have hit, uh, hidden their their heads in the sand on a lot of this. They haven't uh, they haven't in six years done anything on that Deschamps report. In in 2018, they had the Auditor General's report. Uh, in uh, 2019, there was another uh, status of women report uh, and now they're they're putting forward another report and and women and and men who serve in the Canadian military they don't need another report they need action they need that leadership um, I know that Canadians are are so nervous and this rollout has has been mismanaged absolutely so this is just another another block and I know that uh, Steve had said that 50% have received their vaccine but it's actually 3.6 who have only received their their two shots and that's abominable oh. Okay, I, I want to focus a bit. First of all, I'd love to know who's taken over, uh, Mr. McKinnon, but let me just focus on the military. The senior ranks of the military are in this kind of meltdown. The defense minister has been in charge for five years, more than five years. Under his watch, the last two chiefs of the defense staff are under investigation for allegations of sexual misconduct. So is the former head of personnel. Uh, he's lost the commander of the military operations who had to leave under a cloud alongside a series of others. Now you've got Major General Fortin subjected to an investigation. Combine this with, uh, as... Uh, we've just heard the fact that the 2015 Deschamps report recommending how to fix this culture was never implemented. DND reporting 581 cases of sexual assault in the military in the last five years. At what point does the Minister of Defense have to take responsibility for this calamity? Well, the Minister of Defense has taken responsibility for this for this situation, and he has said that uh, we uh, have done a, a great deal, but that has not clearly been enough. And that's why Madame Arbour has been appointed to detail uh, further measures that we can take to make sure that we have a safe have operating and work culture. What we, what we will be doing is making sure that survivors and those who uh, file these complaints 
can be fully heard. And what we, be, we will be doing is making sure that the men and women of the Canadian military, as they have always done, once again rise to this occasion and overcome these uh, present challenges. And that will be done because we have a great culture of leadership um, uh, with the women in the Canadian Armed Forces. You see uh, uh, Madame Carignan, who here in Gatineau led the effort against the floods. She will be applying uh, her vast knowledge of the Canadian Armed Forces to this situation. So, uh, Evan, I'm very confident in the men and women of the Canadian Armed okay. Forces that they will overcome okay. this, and I'm very confident that we will be applying every bit of energy uh, and vigor to this situation uh, I, as we can. They shouldn't have to overcome it. They should be provided the leadership, and, they've, and the Liberals have had six years to do something on this. They are incredible people, and they do serve our country, and I am so grateful to them. But they have to receive the, the leadership over this past term that, you, that the Liberal government has had to actually affect change, and their, their culture just won't get over it. Uh, it's Ms. why we say it's a toxic culture. Uh, Mr. Baird, I know you wanted to jump in. Who's accountable here? Well, uh, clearly, this is the Minister of National Defense who, who is responsible for this. And the Prime Minister has refused to, uh, to acknowledge that he was aware of serious allegations made against the, the, the former Chief of Defense staff in 2018. And so uh, we know that his Chief of Staff knew. He refuses to fire her. He, he continues to profess confidence in in the defense minister who has overseen this uh, crisis in the Canadian yeah. forces. And uh, and Ms. Matheson is, is 100% correct. Uh, this isn't for uh, the members of the forces to overcome. Uh, what, what needs to be overcome is this failure of leadership by the prime minister and by this minister to actually implement yeah. the Deschamps report and to, and to protect Canadians, men and women in the Canadian forces. Uh, just before I quickly let you go, Mr. McKinnon, can you answer the question, who is now in charge of the, uh, the vaccine rollout? Well, you'll be you'll be uh, getting news on that uh, in the coming days, Evan. But let me just say there is an incredible you team of men and women at, of men and women at work with the Public Health Agency of Canada, with the Canadian Armed we Forces, know, and in the provinces I, I and territories, just, and they've been responsible okay, but for I, getting us to number three in the G20. Okay, uh, I know I get that, but 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 for Canadians should know there at this point we don't have anybody to step in for Major General Fortin. There's no replacement right now. Well, that's 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 just nonsense. Okay. This uh, occurred. The news of this, of course, occurred uh, not even 48 hours ago, and you can expect uh, a very okay. clear succession and a very clear uh, demonstration that this team then. is going to continue apace. All right, uh, Mr. McKinnon, uh, Mr. Barrett, Ms. Matheson, I gotta let you go here, but obviously it's a story we'll be following in the week to come. Thanks for joining us. We will pick this up later in the program in the scrum, but coming up. Are provinces taking the wrong path on pausing AstraZeneca? And is there any hope for the mixing and matching vaccine strategy? We'll ask the man who oversaw the development of Oxford AstraZeneca, Sir John Bell from Oxford University. Stay right here with Question Period. Over 2 million AstraZeneca doses have been administered in Canada, including for the Prime Minister. And of those administered, 28 suspected cases of the rare blood clot have been reported and three people have died. Now several provinces have decided to stop using the AstraZeneca vaccine uh, for the first dose appointments. Some have cited supply issues as the cause, but others have cited the safety signal, the risks associated with these rare blood clots. 
but Canada is set to receive 600, or we did receive 655,000 AstraZeneca doses, and there's an urgent need to vaccinate as many people as possible. So is Canada making a mistake by essentially backing away from giving out first doses of AstraZeneca? Uh, the same vaccine, we should say, that reopened the UK fundamentally. Is Canada overstating the risks, or are the mRNA vaccines really a better preferred option. Joining us now is the man who's responsible for overseeing the development of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, Sir John Bell, who's the Regis Professor of Medicine at Oxford University. And welcome back to the program, sir. Um, you've seen what's happening in Canada. There's, a, there's frankly a move away from AstraZeneca for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and many Canadians are deeply concerned that the risks no longer, or the rewards no longer outweigh the risks given the blood clot. What's your reaction to that? Yeah, so look, I, I don't want to, um, I, I, I don't want to um, comment on the decisions that Canadians and Canadian provinces take. I think it's really up to them to decide what vaccines they're going to want to use and how. But I think it's probably worth remembering that there's still lots of things we don't know about this pandemic. Uh, there's still lots of things we don't know about both vaccines. There are lots of things we don't really understand about the clotting issues associated with the AstraZeneca vaccines. And there are things like the, uh, the signal of myocarditis from the Pfizer vaccine, which, as you know, was found in 60 people under the age of 30 in Israel with two deaths. So we're in a, we're in a situation where we're learning as we go along, and, and there are very few absolutes about what's going to happen and what isn't going to happen. And I, I think the argument for continuing to use the AstraZeneca vaccine, cert certainly in populations of people over the age of 40 or 50, is that the incidents of these rare events, they are very, very rare. The Indian strain has now arrived in the UK. It will arrive in Canada if it hasn't already probably already has and at my last look you guys are 3.6 percent vaccinated with two doses so just wait for that one to rip through the Canadian population and then the problems you've had with these very rare clotting events will look pretty insignificant next to oh, that. Okay so John this is interesting because there's a lot of talk about Canadians who say, I don't want my second dose of this now. I want, I'm going to wait. There's a study in the UK, and we keep hearing from public health officials that there's positive signals about mixing and matching. So if you're worried about AstraZeneca, don't worry about it. Your next shot, we're going to be flooded with Pfizer and Moderna. You can mix and match and take your second shot of Pfizer and Moderna. So we may not need all the, the 20 million AstraZeneca doses that we've ordered. What's your response to that? Well, I think that reflects the whole Canadian approach to vaccines generally, and that is acting on a lot of hearsay, not facts. So we're doing the heterologous boosting experiment here in Oxford, 800 people in an arm, Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Astra Pfizer, AstraZeneca, Pfizer. And our experience to date is that it produces pretty severe reactogenicity, so severe that we don't think that's going to be viable. And by that, I mean, you get your second dose, if you flip it over, you'll get really sick. So I would not advise that. Uh, and the second dose of AstraZeneca, which we've now put in to many, many millions of people who had a first dose of AstraZeneca, we're not sure we can even find a single case of clotting problems. So, you know, bad idea. This needs to be data-driven. Okay, uh, sorry. I 
This is really interesting because a lot of people are investing a lot of hope in this, that, that soon that our health officials are going to say, you know, mixing and matching is possible. And we've also heard it may even be better. One shot of AstraZeneca, one shot of Pfizer. You're doing the testing. I just want people to understand, you're saying as someone who's looking at that, it would be, if you're one of the two million Canadians who got AstraZeneca, you're saying take the second dose? Much better to take the second dose. Much better to take the second dose. The only reason to think about heterologous boosting, and to be clear, we don't have all the, all the immunogenicity, all the, the antibody data from those studies because they're big. We're doing them in 800 people each. So it takes a, a while to get them done. But at the moment, I don't think we would be uh, jumping up and down enthusiastically because the reactogenicity, the, the, the effect you have with a second dose, either way you flip it, is pretty severe. And, uh, I, and not only that, but you shouldn't, with a second dose of AstraZeneca, you shouldn't need uh, a Pfizer dose. Your um, antigen reactivity levels will be super high. You'll be fine against all the standard variants. And if you have a third dose of AstraZeneca, your antibody levels go even higher, much higher than they do with Pfizer. So, and you don't get any clotting problems that we see after you've had the first dose. So, you know, come on guys, but either do the experiments yourself or listen to people who do them. Dr. Bell, I mean, I can see the frustration here because a lot of people now, like we are going to get a lot of Pfizer, but we still have ordered a lot of AstraZeneca. A lot of people are saying when they want a first dose, I don't even want to take the, the, the risk of AstraZeneca, I'll wait and get my first dose of Pfizer. Uh, in other words, they just, we in Canada, they're literally called the preferred vaccines. Our science officials say the mRNAs are the quote, preferred vaccines over the viral vectors. I just, your response to what kind of messaging that sends at a critical time. Yeah, so, you know, look, if, if you've got stacks of Pfizer vaccine and stacks of Moderna vaccine and you wanna take those vaccines, those are very good vaccines. I'm not disputing that at all. If, however, you've got supply chain issues, which I suspect you do, the most important thing at this moment in time is to get everybody a first dose of vaccine. That's what we did in the UK. We really pushed the boat out. We're now 60% of people have had a single dose, probably more now. And, and actually, we, 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 we've had no deaths now for many days. There's no hospital admissions. Uh, uh, and indeed, even though we've got Indian cases, we're not having too much trouble. So you guys are sitting at 3.6% of the population with one dose. Yeah, unless you've got with two doses of mRNA vaccine sitting in the back room, you need to get on and vaccinate people with any one of the four good vaccines, Janssen and Janssen, sorry, Johnson and Johnson, AstraZeneca, Moderna or Pfizer. And all, all this messing around is going to cost lives. This is a, it's a public health decision. It's not, you know, it's not some academic game. It's a public health decision. Let the public health doctors make a decision. We, just for the record, Canada has about 50% of its adult population, 18 and up, one dose. But you're right, less than 4% of Canadians have got the, the two dose. Uh, just final thing. So if Canada has now, there, there are, our top health official on Friday was speculating, look, if we don't use, if we don't need all these extra AstraZeneca that we've ordered, we may not even want them. Just again, I know there's an Indian variant that has arrived in Canada, we know that. Are, are you saying it would be prudent to whatever vaccine you can get, still get as many people, Pfizer, Moderna, AstraZeneca, Johnson, just go for, uh, as fast as possible? Is that, would that be your suggestion? 
Yeah, look, it, I, this is a sort of race against time. And the, in, the Indian variants, the two known Indian variants that are causing so much trouble in India are much more infectious than the Kent variant. Uh, and they transmit much faster. So once it takes hold, it's going to move really quickly. So there's no time to waste getting people a second dose. And, and what, what we can see is that the more people with a second dose, the more people will have antibody levels that are high enough to deal with the Indian variant, which is where we are at the moment in the UK. Um, so my advice is get people two doses as fast as you can and hunker down. So for the Canadians to be out thinking about whether they should have a second dose, you know, eating marshmallows around the campfire looks a bit silly to me, frankly. And look, if you guys have got 70 million doses of Pfizer sitting around and you can whack them into people quickly, good luck to you. I have no problem with that at all. I just think this game of waiting around for the perfect solution while there's a massive pandemic coming in your direction, that does not look smart to me. Uh, Sir John Bell, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank nice. you, sir. Nice to talk. See you soon. Coming up, are provinces taking the wrong path, pausing AstraZeneca? Is the hope for mixing and matching vaccines suddenly diminished? And why are the new guidelines for this one-dose summer so restrictive? We're going to get a response to what Sir John Bell just said from the Chief Medical Advisor for Health Canada, Dr. Supriya Sharma. She's next. Stay right here with Question Period. So is it effectively the end of the AstraZeneca line in Canada? Well, for most Canadians, a first dose of that vaccine has now been, to use a hockey playoff analogy, benched. Effective today, Ontario will be pausing the rollout and administration of the first or initial doses of AstraZeneca vaccine at this time. Provinces like Ontario and Quebec are suspending the use of AstraZeneca for first shots due to concerns over the extremely rare blood clots linked to the vaccine. But over 2 million Canadians have already got the AstraZeneca shot, and there have been 28 cases of the rare blood clots and three Canadian deaths. Other provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan are pausing due to supply shortages. Check this out. Based on global supply challenges, we do not know when Canada and in turn Alberta will receive additional doses. That is why, effective today, we are holding our remaining AstraZeneca supply. BC says it's stopping first shots because of both safety and supply. But the man who oversaw the development of the vaccine in England, Sir John Bell, just told us before the break, with new variants coming from places like India and so few Canadians with two doses, he's questioning if it's smart to ditch AstraZeneca. And what about the two million people who already have the shot? Is Canada waiting for a mix and match strategy? Let's find out. Joining me now is Health Canada's Chief Medical Advisor, Dr. Supriya Sharma. Dr. Sharma, first of all, thanks for your work and always joining us on the program. Um, this week, many provinces, and you just heard me say, like Ontario, say we're stopping issuing the first shots of AstraZeneca because of the safety signal, the concerns. But the Indian variant has now arrived in Canada in some places. Is it prudent for provinces to essentially bench a vaccine that has pulled the UK fundamentally out of the pandemic? Doesn't speed for any vaccine matter? 
So, you know, with respect to AstraZeneca, it's a good vaccine. It's still a good vaccine. Health Canada has authorized it. The benefits overall outweigh the risks. There is this serious, um, rare, but real risk of clots. And, and, you know, we've talked about that before. So what we're facing right now is a time that we expected to come. We have limited um, supply of AstraZeneca coming in. We have a huge supply of the mRNA vaccines coming in. We've reached a marker where we've got about 50% of the adults that are vaccinated. So we were always going to have this pivot point about how we were going to use the vaccines that are coming when we have, you know, potentially looking forward more supply than demand. So what provinces are looking at right now, they're looking at the supply that they have, the numbers of first doses that have, that have been given, you know, the plans that they need to reserve vaccine for second doses, and then overall what's happening with COVID-19 in their provinces. And then they're making their decision, as they have been all along, about how best to use the the vaccines that are supplied to them. But it's fair to say confidence in the vaccine is clearly plummeting. There's a lot of confusion and, and, and people are worried about it. Um, we just spoke to Sir John Bell, who you know oversaw the development of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine. He says Canada is actually overstating the risk versus the rewards, especially at this time. But he did point out that there are risks for the mRNA vaccines like Pfizer as well. He actually cited some deaths in Israel from heart issues associated with the vaccine. From the Canadian health perspective, are there risks associated with Pfizer? And if so, what are they? You know, there are risks and benefits of any treatment in any vaccine. You know, if there are no risks associated and there are, if there are no side effects, it's probably not doing something. So absolutely, we're always, we're always balancing those things. You know, what are you getting from the vaccine? In this case, it's prevention of a, of a disease that's potentially fatal versus what those risks are. And even with Pfizer and with mRNA vaccines, there are risks that are associated with it. Specifically, when we're looking at that, that issue around, we call it myocarditis or heart inflammation, all of the regulators internationally are looking at it, including Israel. And so far, the numbers that we've seen are not higher than what we would expect to see in, in a population that did not get the vaccine. Dr. Sharma, on Friday, Dr. Teresa Tam said people who took the AstraZeneca, the two million folks who did it, may be able to wait and get a Pfizer or Moderna, the mRNA vaccines, uh, for their second shot, the so-called mixing and matching. Uh, and she said, you know, the early studies look good. But again, Sir John Bell, who works at Oxford, where the mix and match study is taking place, told us the data doesn't look good and it doesn't support a mix and match. I just want to play you the clip of what he just told us. Here's what he said. Our experience to date is that it produces pretty severe reactogenicity, so severe that we don't think that's going to be viable. And by that, I mean, you get your second dose, if you flip it over, you'll get really sick. So I would not advise that. You'll get really sick. I would not advise mix and match. That's what he's saying in the early part of the study that he's seeing. Now, we haven't seen a lot of that. That's the first time I've heard that. What, is, what do you make of that? And what does Health Canada make of that? You know, what I make of it is what I've made, with, uh, made of any research that's coming out on COVID-19. I think what happens is that studies are ongoing, um, you know, a bit of information is released publicly, everyone's got a hot take on it. We've seen that just with some from some studies on Pfizer that have come out before people have had a chance to see the evidence. So what I would say with respect to AstraZeneca and the people that have received it, first of all, thank you. 
Thank you for protecting yourselves, your families, your communities, and helping to, you know, sustain a health system that was really, really, really stretched and still is. So thank you for people that got AstraZeneca. And then the second part of it is, with respect to a, self do a second dose of AstraZeneca, when we look at the studies, the optimal dosing interval between the first and second dose is actually a bit longer. It's, it is 12 weeks in the trials, and that give you, gave you better immunity. So what I would say is, look, you've got your first dose, you can wait until 12 weeks for your second dose. When we have that time for that second dose, we will have the actual data from that study that's coming out of the, the UK, not just on the initial part that talks about reactogenicity or those side effects. We'll have information more on the safety side, more on how effective that is. We can take that information and then compare right. it to the information for AstraZeneca for second dose, and then we can offer people an educated, informed, empowered choice about their second dose. Right, although he's Sir John Bell. I mean, he's the guy that's overseeing that, so I don't know if it's a hot take, but it was certainly a negative take. But as you say, he's advising people who got the AstraZeneca, though, he says, take the second shot if you can. And he said the reason is, um, they've had zero evidence of blood clots with the second dose of AstraZeneca. Is that what Health Canada says too? So the best information that we have around the incidence of these rare blood clots with second dose is coming out of the UK because because in Canada we've only had just over 4,000 doses of AstraZeneca given as the second dose, so just a very small number. In the UK, um, the rate of VIT from what we've seen is about one in one million. So again, those cases are still being looked at, they're still being confirmed, but if there is a risk of VIT, it's certainly much lower. We don't think it's zero. Uh, but we think that it is much lower. I just want to pick up on this intervals and I want to focus specifically on Pfizer and Moderna, the mRNA, because there was a lot of concern, people saying you've gone off-label Health Canada, you've not waited the 21 and 28 days, there was worried about how effective they would be if you wait two, three, maybe even four months. 50% um, of the adult population has uh, a vaccine, many of them Pfizer and Moderna. Um, do you have new data on how effective these vaccines are if you wait this two to four month interval period on those vaccines. Right, so from a Health Canada perspective, the authorized vaccines for Pfizer and Moderna have not changed, the interval has not changed. So the Health Canada position from a regulatory side of things is really 21 days for Pfizer, 28 days for Moderna. The interval in terms of extension really came out of recommendations from NACI, and the goal was really public health, get as many first doses into people as, as quickly as possible, and if the case counts go down because of that, which they do, that'll protect everyone. So what we're seeing now is some information on a small group of people 80 and above on Pfizer that shows when you wait for a longer interval in this case it was three months the the after the second dose that immunity boost that you get is actually better than if you got it earlier and that's not surprising we see that in a lot of vaccines so it's good news for the delay for the longer term and in the shorter term what I tell people is if you're in that period of time between your first and second dose still be very cautious and what the provinces and territories are doing now is that they're starting to roll back from that four-month second dose interval to earlier doses for certain groups as the supply becomes more available. So I think in general, people will not be waiting the full four months for that second dose. Um, and as we said, if you have a longer interval, overall that will help you, but you still need to be careful in that interim period. All right, I gotta leave it there. Dr. Spriya Sharma, always a pleasure to have you on the program, thanks. Thanks for your time. All right, coming up, Canada is set to receive 4.4 million vaccines this week. How will the departure of Major General Danny Fultan impact the rollout? 
What does this say about leadership in Canada's military? The Scrum is next, and our special guest is Lisa Raitt. Stay right here with Question Period. So in the middle of the deadly third wave, at a time when Canada is set to get a record 4.4 million vaccines this week, the general in charge of the rollout, the military's most urgent mission, has suddenly stepped down under a cloud of investigation late Friday night. It's fair to say that the senior ranks of the military are now in a full meltdown. What impact could all this have, first, on the critical vaccine rollout, and second, on the military itself? Is the Minister of Defence accountable for the state of the leadership in that organization. The Scrum is here to dig into that. Joining me now, CTV's Ottawa Bureau Chief, Joyce Napier, Senior Parliamentary Reporter with the Toronto Star, Tonda McCharles, and our special guest is the former Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, Lisa Raitt. Good morning to all three of you. Uh, Lisa Raitt, I'm going to start with you. There are, as I said, two aspects of this. Uh, impact on rollout, impact on the military. What's your view on those? Impact on rollout, I think, is going to be negligible. Um, one thing we know when you ask the military to do something for you, not only have your first flank covered, you have your second, you have your third. So there's probably some people who are very well versed in what's going on, understand the mission, that can step into the shoes and then just run with it and continue on. I'm not as worried there. I am worried about what it means for the military. My gut reaction when I read this on Friday Night Evan was, oh my God, again? Again? <laughs> Certainly, we have to figure out what is going on there. And not a lot of information. Um, you know, everything is very closed-lipped in terms of what's going on. And just uh, one day, you have uh, a military uh, presence, and the next day, you don't. And it's um, we do have to hear from the minister. Yeah, uh, Tonda, what's your take on these, this stunning announcement? Mm -hmm. So we've been assured this weekend already exactly what Lisa said, that the, the number two and three behind Danny Fortin at Public Health were two military officers who are up to speed on the rollout, and they're arguing that it will proceed as planned. But I would say that, look, Danny Fortin was a calm, reassuring voice and a better communicator than anyone over at the Public Health Agency has been in the last 17 months. So there's a loss there for the vaccine rollout per se. But to the bigger picture about what does it say about the military, I think this shows that there's now the government and the military have been almost shamed in the last few months into taking a zero tolerance policy to any allegation. We don't know what the substance of the allegation is yet. We're, there are rumors, reports that it's sexual misconduct. So we don't know what we don't know. But I would say that this puts more pressure on the government to A, address the allegations more clearly and substantively deal with the issue, the toxic culture in the Canadian forces. Uh, Joyce, uh, weigh in on that because I, I think this was the most visible military man right now in, in the country on this critical mission. Uh, who's accountable here for what's going on there? And it's the first time that actually an action in the military is impacting the civilian world because mm. uh, of his important role that he was playing uh, across the country. Um, I think that Harjit Sajjan, the defense minister, is a lucky guy because his boss must like him very much. Uh, because, you know, the, it's got to stop somewhere and it stops at the minister. Also, why appoint a second uh, uh, justice from the Supreme Court? Very brilliant uh, a judicial mind, uh, Louise Arbour. But we had uh, already a report. So why not just appoint someone who is going to implement 
uh, what uh, the previous judge, uh, the previous justice, had uh, recommended. I mean, that would be so much easier. So here's a government, it seems, in its act, that is just kicking the can down the road. Uh, just take the bull by the horns. You've got a problem, guys. It's an underfunded military. It's a military that is not doing its duties to its international um, organizations. So get it together. Uh, you've got to get it together because sure. I don't know what this looks like in the eyes of the world. All right, I, I, this is the man in charge, uh, who was in charge of the vaccine rollout, but, but let, let me focus a bit on vaccines, Lisa Raitt. Uh, we just had mm -hmm. Sir John Bell on. He, was the, he oversaw the, developing, uh, the development of AstraZeneca. He had an unleashed a furious attack on Canada yeah. for essentially undermining confidence in that vaccine, especially when we've got the Indian variant uh, that he is concerned about. And while Canada has 50% of the popul adult population vaccinated with one dose, under 4% with, with two doses. What do you make of all the confusion around AstraZeneca and, and now that, that he's throwing that, uh, another view on that? Yeah, that was quite the interview, Evan. Um, boy, uh, it was definitely, I wouldn't want to be the Minister of Health today, I have to say, having watched that and the decisions that have been taken by the government. But here's the deal. If you look to what's going on in the UK right now, they are battening down the hatches when it comes to this this variant coming out of India. They are very concerned about it. They have better second vaccine um, uh, percentages than we do in Canada. Almost everybody does. But we made the decision to extend this, this first dose to 16, 15, 16 weeks. The UK made a decision to extend it to 12 weeks, but they're catching up on the second vaccination. I think our governments really have to focus on getting that second dose in people's arms if we're going to be able to combat this variant and the variants that are going to come behind it. But the criticism is well placed on AstraZeneca. That's what's being utilized in the United Kingdom. And we have to get our act together in communicating here because there's a lot of people in their 40s who literally said, I'm going to wait for Pfizer or Moderna. I'm not going to take a chance on AstraZeneca. Yeah, and it proved up to be true. Uh, real quick, I'll go to Joyce and then Tonda on that. Joyce. Well, I mean, confusion is not helping at all. And, and why isn't Canada conducting its own studies? Are we just waiting for others for vaccines? Is Canada waiting for others for, for data? I mean, real-world data. Why aren't we contributing to that? 16, 17 million Canadians have had a first dose. A few millions have had both doses. Do we know anything? Are we testing antibodies? I mean, you know, we're behind not only in giving people that second shot, but also in gathering information. And at this point, information is key. Uh, Tonda, yeah. he, ha he gave a bit of a warning on the mix and match again. I should just say that data is not finalized mm -hmm. yet. We're waiting to the results of the study. But boy, there's a lot of confidence is ebbing in that AstraZeneca, which, by the way, the prime minister and all the leaders, major leaders have. W what do you make of that confusion? The confidence may be ebbing because of the confusing messaging around it, I think. Um, look, there are a lot of people also in many positions who actually say they would still take an AstraZeneca. And the science is still good that it can be effective, especially in preventing severe illness, hospitalization, and death. And with the variants, as Lisa said, that's a really key point, and I don't think our public health officials or our government officials have been very effective in communicating that. But a lot of the doctors have. So um, for my money, I'm going to listen to the doctors. All right, yeah. I, I got to leave it there. That's always a good thing to do in a pandemic. Listen to 
the doctors. All right, uh, Tonda and uh, Joyce, of course, are going to stay with us. Lisa Raitt, great to have you on the program this morning. Coming up, pipeline politics. The Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer is determined to shut down Ambridge's Line 5. That's a pipeline that runs through her state. Can the Canadian government do anything to stop her or are gas shortages in Ontario and Quebec coming? What's the way out? To find out, Jim Blanchard, the former Michigan Governor and the former U.S. Ambassador to Canada, joins the Scrum next. Stay right here with question period. We have a treaty, a pipeline treaty with the U.S. that applies to Line 5. Um, that Michigan should not be able to unilaterally close it in keeping with that treaty, which is fairly clear on this. A pipeline runs through U.S.-Canada relations again. There's a furious battle on right now to save something called Line 5. That's a 68-year-old Canadian pipeline that delivers oil from Alberta to Ontario and Quebec and much of the uh, northeastern U.S. But along the way, it does run through the U.S. where Lake Michigan and Lake Huron meet in a sensitive piece of uh, waterway called the Straits of Mackinac. Now, the governor of Michigan, a key ally of Joe Biden, Gretchen Whitmer, has pulled the permit and is fighting to kill the pipeline. She sees it as an environmental disaster waiting to happen. The Canadian government has joined Enbridge, the pipeline owner, in the court battle to save it. Uh, but given the fact that there's a 1977 pipeline treaty between Canada and the U.S., does Michigan even have the right to try to kill that pipeline? And what can the Canadian government do to save it? Let's bring back the scrum to dig into this one. Joyce Napier is back, our Ottawa Bureau Chief here at CTV News. Tonda McCharles, a reporter from the uh, Toronto Star, joins us. And our special guest this round is Jim Blanchard. He is the former governor of Michigan and also the former U.S. ambassador to Canada. Uh, great to have you here, Ambassador, and joining the Scrum. Uh, you know this file very well. First, does Michigan have the jurisdiction to actually kill this, uh, given the fact that there is a treaty between the U.S. and Canada? What's your take on this? Yeah, I, uh, that's to be litigated. It's in litigation, state court, federal court. I should say I wear a couple other hats besides being former governor and a former ambassador to Canada. Uh, I am an original and a big supporter of Gretchen Whitmer's our governor. Uh, and also, until four years ago, I was on the board of directors of Enbridge. So, uh, you know, generally pipeline safety is federally regulated. It's not regulated by the state. And then there is this treaty, basically right now, which says that if there's a, a serious disagreement, uh, the two parties should negotiate, which they are now doing. And if that doesn't give a result, then it, goes to it can go to arbitration. So I think wiser minds would urge continued negotiation. There's a mediation going on with a federal judge, a former federal judge supervising it. And the only ultimate answer is a negotiated settlement. Look. This pipeline is really important to Michigan. It's not just Ontario and Quebec. It provides vital energy to Michigan, propane for home heating, which is a huge thing in northern Michigan, jet fuel for our airport, crude oil. So Enbridge is a huge provider of energy to Michigan, not with just this pipeline, but other pipelines. Joyce, not a lot of common rhetoric from Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, she does not seem to be backing off. They're moving ahead with all this. Um, what more can the Canadian government do in your view? I know they've joined the court case in an amicus brief, uh, and I know they're lobbying. Is there anything they can do? Well, you know, I mean, if you take the example of what happened with Keystone XL, I would answer no, that's the short answer. Not much Canada can do, uh, because that was one of the first things Joe Biden did uh, after he was sworn in. 
Um, and we know we're not hearing uh, great support from Joe Biden right now uh, about Line 5. Uh, so it's interesting. The question is, is the uh, governor of Michigan, is this political posturing? Is it more posturing than real? Um, you know, this is going to go to the court, then it will go to, you know, mediation. Um, you know, the treaty says uh, if there is a natural disaster, and there was no natural disaster, not on this pipeline anyway. So what arguments will they bring? Tonda, I should say in 2010, Enbridge, another owned pipeline there, spilled 4.6 million liters of oil into the Kalamazoo River. So some say the state has a good reason to distrust Enbridge's environmental past, but how is this just on the domestic politics here? You've got the Conservatives and the Liberals supporting the pipeline. Uh, the NDP kind of a bit on the fence here, and, and you could talk about that. The Green Party not wanting it. How is this playing out? What's the domestic political ramifications of this dispute? Well, I think you see that domestically in Canada, the, the, the constituencies and the parties are taking pretty traditional positions on this. And, you know, for Justin Trudeau, however, I think it really does um, put him up against a wall in terms of his relationship with the new White House administration. Um, and I think he is facing a big test to persuade Biden right now, because I don't think Governor Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer would be acting and speaking in the way she is if she didn't have at least tacit approval mm. by Biden to go ahead and do this and take this on. I mean, to Ambassador Blanchard's point, you know, her, who are her constituents for all of this? Uh, he, he's just addressed that, you know, it's a need that Michigan has as well. So is she has the support of environmentalists and indigenous communities in that area, but not unions, not business. Um, for, so that's her domestic issue. Trudeau's domestic issue is very much he has to prove somehow that he has some sway and can get some victory with the Biden White House. Right. So far, that's not that doesn't seem likely. Uh, Ambassador, just weigh in because people have been wondering this. This is a big Canadian-U.S. relationship issue, and it doesn't look like President Biden has lifted a finger in support of the pipeline. Well, you don't know that. You don't know that. I don't know that. I'm going to see the president actually on Tuesday in Michigan. Uh, let me mention a couple things. I've always said, and I wrote a book about it, nothing good can come from a high-profile dispute between the U.S. and Canada. Both sides have heated rhetoric. It becomes a political football. When you end up with a negotiated settlement, both sides accuse their negotiators of caving in. This is not a good... I mean, look, I've seen it with wheat and beer and fishing and you name it. Lumber, lumber keeps going on. So nothing good can come from a high-profile dispute. All I can tell you is in Michigan, people cherish our Great Lakes. They worry about any threat to the lakes. You have one group that's totally against fossil fuel uh, that seized on this to hype it up. But the rest of us worry about energy supply and the Great Lakes, environment and energy. And what we need is... We, we need an answer which involves energy and the environment and goodwill and not the, an unrealistic claim that somehow if, we can sh if they can shut this pipeline, they've dealt a blow to fossil fuel. That is not a realistic answer. I have to leave it there. We are watching this obviously very closely. It's a very consequential issue. Uh, Ambassador Blanchard, always a pleasure to have you on the program. And Joyce Thank and Tonda, always great to have both of you as regulars on the show. But that is question period for this week. And I want to thank you for watching and engaging in these great debates. I'll see you tomorrow on CTV Power Play at 5 p.m. Eastern on CTV News Channel. And we will be back here on question period in seven short days. If it's safe, hug your loved ones, take care. Thanks for watching.